0: You have to look at the Federal Reserve's upcoming pivot, because it is going to happen, as the case of officials trying to take out some insurance in case they're wrong about a number of their Goldilocks plans. Banking woes, monetary problems, commercial real estate, as I talked about recently, a number of factors that could go wrong or wronger than central banks and officials and economists have forecasted. Another one of those is the general economy itself everybody wants a soft landing to happen and central bankers here in the United States are hoping they've got one, but increasingly they're a little bit unsure whether or not that's really possible. And as the uncertainty rises, as they get more and more nervous about hitting the soft landing, the appeal of rate cuts as insurance goes way up. So a big part of the Fed pivot, as it has been throughout the Fed's recent modern history, is insurance against recession. We think things are going well, but you know what? We're increasingly uncertain that they are. Now, in the case of 2023 heading into 2024, the initial pivot period is nothing more than officials embracing where markets are already going. Rates are down and down substantially as the marketplace is saying, hey, we're not all that certain about a soft landing anyway, though markets were never really, really in the soft landing camp to begin with. But officials are saying, well, we'll embrace the market, market going down, rates going down in the marketplace, because we want rates to go lower. We think that's our insurance. So in a sense, the Fed has already started toward the pivot by not fighting back against the rate cuts or the lower rates, actually, in the marketplace, that have already taken place. The Fed wants to cut policy rates, the market wants rates to go lower because of demand for safety and liquidity. And realizing those two things are never usually associated with good times, more nervousness on the part of officials, higher degree of uncertainty, less confidence in the soft landing, more likely to pivot. Last week, we got some more information, more updates and confirmation from the government, government statistics, that suggest exactly why officials might be more uncertain about the real economic situation. On the one hand, GDP, another terrific quarter, confirmed at around 5%. The Bureau of Economic Analysis did downgrade GDP a little bit, but it wasn't a meaningful change. It raised basically back to where it was at the initial estimate a couple months ago, but still a 5% quarter in Q3. And as several Federal Reserve officials have said recently, they realized that the, the third quarter number didn't last into the fourth quarter. Something changed heading into the fourth quarter where the economy substantially shifted, downshifted into a lower state. Now, from the perspective of a 5% GDP quarter in the third quarter, that would be... Not necessarily a bad thing. Shifting from what might have been more inflationary, according to the mainstream worldview here, what central bankers are operating on, to less inflationary in the fourth quarter, that's, that's potentially a positive. But there's a reason to look at the overall gross domestic numbers from the BEA and be more skeptical about just how much the economy has shifted and how much the economy may have shifted to the worst long before we got to the third quarter of this year. I'm talking about the other side of GDP, which is something called GDI or gross domestic income. The way the government tries to account for output across the entire economy is For every expenditure, which goes into GDP, there should be a receipt of income, which goes into GDI. And for the vast majority of the time, GDP and GDI are pretty close together, close enough together and moving largely in the same direction that you don't really pay attention to one or the other. But there are cases that are usually clustered around recessions, as we'll see in just a minute, where GDI tends to do something different than GDP. And not just something different, but something Obviously and noticeably different than GDP, which makes you, which grabs your attention, or at least should grab your attention, that maybe the situation isn't as GDP often has it. And we look at the current state of GDI versus GDP, there's a big difference, a growing difference since the end of last year. Imagine that. Fourth quarter of 2022, once curves got crazy, inversions went nuclear around the world too, not just in the United States. GDI says "Eh, something's wrong in the U.S. economy too, not just overseas economies like Europe. GDP steadied itself and has actually accelerated a little bit in the third quarter, maybe slowing down in the fourth quarter, whereas GDI looks a lot more like, if not recession itself, the initial period, at least over the last several cycles in the last 40 years, GDI is looking more and more like during those periods when we experience a cyclical change. One of the measures that really highlights that cyclical change recently is the year-over-year change in GDI. Now that just turned negative for the first time in this cycle, though it had been negative previously, then it got revised with benchmark revisions. Now we're back to negative again. And a negative year-over-year change in GDI has been always, always associated with economic recession, at least in the post-war era where there is GDI. So GDI is already sending a weak enough signal that we should be concerned about recession already, whereas GDP looks nothing like it. So if you look around at the history, look back at the history of GDI versus GDP, especially during cyclical indications, you might pay more attention to GDI rather than GDP. So let's do that. Let's Let's look at the historical record to see what GDI tells us that maybe GDP doesn't. And if you start in the 1970s, well, it's good enough to go back that far. We're talking about half a century here. The first couple of recessions in the 1970s, GDP and GDI are basically in lockstep. Now GDI, the income side is a bit weaker during the recession, but as far as the trend beforehand and then the, the inflection into recession, there's really not much difference between GDI and GDP. But all that begins to change around 1978 and 1979. As the great inflation is really raging, it's into its second decade already. Before we get to the oil crisis of 1979, oil prices were picking up, but they hadn't gotten to the crisis proportion. The U.S. economy was already showing signs of weakening toward recession before Volcker even got into office, before rate hikes, all of that stuff. The inflationary period, the huge pain of consumer prices had already taken its toll on the U.S. economy. So GDI slows down during 1978, and while GDP does slow in 1979, it's to nowhere near the same extent So GDP is at least modestly positive but slowing down, which caught enough people's attention, whereas GDI was basically flat. And again, flat in in, in the nonlinear world that we live in. That is a contraction. So GDI was already saying the economy was in much weaker shape than GDP was. And during late 1979, the early Volcker era, the earliest part of the Volcker era, economists there and central bankers, they had the problem of, hey, the economy looks weak and... We've got massive amounts of inflation. The great inflation is still raging. And what the, the FOMC discussed in November, 1979 at that particular policy meeting was, what do we do here? We've got a choice between inflation fighting and economic weakness. And I'll give you a couple of comments to show you what they were talking about and what they were thinking. One was a guy by the name of Mr. Wall. He said, I think it's clear that we're facing a worsening outlook for both unemployment and inflation. The situation seems to be worse on the side of inflation than unemployment and slow growth. So I think we've got to weight our approach accordingly. That is, lean more in the direction of fighting inflation than taking account of recession. And that's the bias that we get even today. Faced with this kind of a choice, if we have to choose between inflation fighting and recession fighting, the central bank under the the post Volcker interest rate targeting environment and regime They're going to choose inflation fighting every time even if they see the recession and recession risk they're going to prioritize consumer prices first and that was backed up by another comment this is fellow by the name of mr caldwell he said i'd like to keep the committee's focus on the inflation side for the moment i do think the chances of recession are high next year and we will have to face the problem of of to what extent we will allow rates to go down next year But I don't like the possibility of those rates going down now, not only because of the potential effects on the domestic side for this quarter, but also because of the international side. So what he was saying was, I'd like to cut rates, I'd like to go where markets are, but we have to prioritize inflation. So when there's a high degree of uncertainty on both sides, the Fed is going to bias toward inflation fighting. But if there is no inflation risk or increasingly the inflation risk appears to be diminishing as in 2023, as I'll get to in a minute, they will choose rate cuts. Now, it's a separate topic entirely about whether rate cuts do anything. But as far as the Federal Reserve officials are concerned, when you see them talking about rate cuts, when you see them actually start to cut rates, that is in response to this unemployment risk, this unemployment uncertainty, that goes way way back. So in the absence of any inflation risk and in the face of a high degree of unemployment uncertainty, the Fed is going to be cutting rates. That's what we need to realize here. You seek rate cuts, that's a signal that the Fed's not concerned about inflation any longer. It's also a signal that they're more and more concerned about unemployment, meaning the general economy. And GDI in 1979 and 1980, heading into 1980 was a good reason why that should have been the case. GDI was much weaker than GDP. And of course, we ended up getting a nasty recession in 1980. Now, the 1981-82 recession, GDI, GDP, there was still a gap there left over from the 80 recession. But by and large, GDI, GDP were in agreement in 1981 and 82, that pretty substantial recession there. The next contraction, the next business cycle, that was the SNL crisis and SNL recession that showed up in 1990. But long before we got to 1990, There was the same sort of situation. GDP slowed down a little bit, but was largely suggesting nothing bad happening in the economy. GDI, on the other hand, you see that start to fall off in the second quarter of 1989, more than a year before the official recession would begin in the middle of 1990. GDI said the economy was weaker heading in the recession. And up until the middle part of 1989, the Federal Reserve was more concerned about inflation risks than they were the growing weakness in the real economy. But... In the second half of 1989, as consumer price pressures appeared to diminish, guess what the Fed did? In the face of rising uncertainty about unemployment, meaning the general economy, the Federal Reserve began to cut rates. In the first real instance of of Alan Greenspan's rate-cutting and rate-targeting regime and using rate cuts to try to steer the economy. Of course, it didn't work. We got into recession anyway. But again, the, the point stands here. When the Fed perceives diminishing inflation risk and increasing uncertainty about the real economy and unemployment, they're going to pick rate cuts as their policy decision. And that's what they did. Second half of 1989, rate cuts. There was another rate cut in July, 1990, just as the recession was beginning. And it wasn't until the latter half of 1990 that the Fed really started cutting rates more aggressively. As it became clear, the earlier rate cuts did not actually work to prevent the recession. So while the Fed was intent on taking out insurance against recession with its rate cuts in the second half of 1989, it didn't have any effect. I mean, you could see gross domestic income was still incredibly weak compared to GDP. The economy wasn't responding to rate cuts, and we had the SNL crisis behind all of it restricting more and more access to credit. So all of those things combined into the 1990-91 recession. Again, the rate cuts told us that the Fed was increasingly worried about that possibility, not that they could do something about it, but they wanted a little bit of insurance in case they were wrong about the soft landing that the Fed had penciled in back in 1989 when they started rate cuts. So rate cuts are an insurance against, hey, the soft landing isn't going to happen here. And moreover, GDI, more weakness in GDI, it's an indication you should pay attention to the economy. The 2000 recession, 2000, 2001 business cycle, the 2001.com recession, in this case GDI was actually a little bit stronger than GDP, but by and large, the timing, the degree, everything else was pretty much the same GDI, GDP. But that was not the case in 2006, 2007, and 2008. GDI actually had been stronger in 2005, leading up to the housing bubble, housing bust era, and then got weak again in the early part of 2007. So while GDP was kind of slowing down, GDI GDI had already taken its turn toward what we now call the Great Recession. There was an increase in GDI in the second quarter of 2007, but then the third quarter was a pretty substantial stumble. While GDP looked pretty positive, third quarter 2007 GDI looked increasingly negative negative. and so you had a big drop in the th- in the third quarter of 2007 the second quarter of 2007 would end up being the peak for GDI long before we got to the great recession GDP wouldn't peak until the second quarter of 2008 an entire year later so if you're looking at GDP in the second half of 2007 and the early part of 2008 really the first half of 2008 you don't really see much recession risk, Whereas you look at GDI, you think, okay, the economy is incredibly weak. And because of the banking woes that were going on at that time, the Fed had to prioritize the banking stuff over their weight. They wanted to fight inflation more than anything, but the combination of uncertainty over the economy plus the banking, which is really the monetary system, they prioritize rate cuts in that situation. So we look back at the GDP versus GDI situation. What we see is GDI more often than not has been a better cyclical indicator. That was the case in 1979, again in 1989, and quite importantly in 2007. So three of the five recessions since the late 1970s, GDI has pointed toward recession long before GDP has. And then the other two, they were basically the same. So we should pay attention to GDI, and there's every reason to believe that the weakness in the economy, officials are picking up on that too, increasingly uncertain about the state of the U.S. economy and the situation in the soft landing. The other part of that where we get into the Fed pivot is, of course, consumer prices, inflation risks as they call them. Last week, the BEA also reported the PCE deflator, the consumer price measures that the Federal Reserve likes to use. And what they showed was more thorough established disinflation. The year over year change in the PCE deflator was 2.64%, which was the lowest since February, 2021. And the monthly change was actually negative, minus 0.7%, the first negative monthly in the PCE deflator since April of 2020. But it wasn't just one month, that's two months in a row with basically zero change in the deflator, also in the month of October. But the core rate, it's been emphasis on the core rate throughout this year, but in the month of November, the latest information, latest data, the core PCE deflator, which the Fed pays a lot of attention to, was just 0.06% month over month, again, November. That's the lowest monthly change since April of 2022, just like the PCE headline deflator. And it's, again, two months in a row for the core rate as well as the headline rate. So as far as the Fed's pivot is concerned, they want to prioritize consumer price pressures and inflation where they think those are a potential problem. If there's uncertainty over inflation versus uncertainty on unemployment, they're going to pick uncertainty over inflation. But with the pce deflator cpi numbers and a whole bunch of other things they're less and less uncertain about consumer prices they're more and more uncertain about the economy and the state of the soft landing and gdi gives us a good window into why that might be and they also realize that thorough disinflation weakness in the real economy those two things might go together too so as they're getting the disinflation signal that might also be a confirmation that the economy is much weaker than anyone would like it to be. The change in tune toward rate cuts. There's a number of reasons for banking problems, commercial real estate, monetary issues. But by and large, there's already enough evidence and enough reason that even the Federal Reserve is thinking, we might wanna take out a little bit of economy insurance here too. And we'll start by embracing lower rates in the marketplace. Now, if only they would realize what lower rates in the marketplace are actually telling them, they might get to, They might actually start stepping up their pace of pivoting. Just last week, I took a look at one of the other possible reasons for the Fed pivot in commercial real estate, how that has actually frozen up and what that might actually mean. That's the video link below me. As always, I thank you for joining me. I hope you had a Merry Christmas. Do have a wonderful New Year. And as always, take care.